This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red Club exclusive podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Matt Addison and on this episode of the show, as the build-up to Liverpool's opening game of the campaign against Norwich City continues, I'm getting the lowdown on the new season from writers who cover the other clubs hoping to be in Premier League and Champions League contention. We'll shortly get the view from Manchester with Alex Brotherton and Richard Fay, who cover Manchester City and Manchester United respectively for the Manchester Evening News. But first, European champions Chelsea have had another few months to settle into life under Thomas Tuchel, and they've spent big once again. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. And I'm now joined by Sam Incasol, Chelsea reporter for Football London. Sam, thanks for jumping on with me. What's the summer been like for Chelsea? Uh, it's been, well, it was quiet until um, a, f- a few days ago when uh, the news broke that Romelu Lukaku's um, signing is should be agreed imminently. Or, well, it was agreed over the weekend and he should be joining up, um, which is a huge move, not just in terms of the transfer fee, I believe it's about £98 million, but <laughs> it addresses the big area that Chelsea needed to address from last season um, where they struggled for goals under, under Thomas Tuchel. So um, that was... So up until then, it was quite quiet. It was more dominated with outgoings and uh, trying to get players off the books because we do have a 42-man squad at the moment. Um, and then that still needs to be chopped down by a long shot. But yeah, so it had been quiet and then it's all of a sudden just kicked into gear. And uh, they've had a, a, a fairly decent pre-season, unbeaten in pre-season. Um, a lot of... Uh, I, I, I had a, not really... In terms of friendlies, they had a, they had to cover behind, behind closed doors games, one against Peterborough, and one, another was an intra-squad game, uh, another one they've got planned for August the 15th of all days, um, which is obviously a day after the season starts. But yeah, they played and beat uh, Arsenal uh, in the mind series, drew with Spurs uh, in the second game, but uh, ended up winning that competition, that preseason triangular tournament that they won. So it's another trophy to add to the cabinet anyway. Um, and uh, beat Bournemouth as well. So they've had a relatively good preseason. Thomas Tuchel's given minutes to a lot of players. He's tried to give everyone minutes to state their case because they've got a massive squad. So yeah, it's been um, it's been a bit been a pretty, it's probably been a bit, a bit truncated with players returning at different times as well. Players have often been training in four separate groups at Cobham because of such a vast squad and the different times that they've all been coming back. Players that have played in the Euro finals and semi-finals have only really been back in for about a week or so. So it's not been uh, it's it's not been easy. It's been unique as Tuchel described it. But yeah, it's certainly been a it's been a busy summer in terms of pre-season training and trying to get everyone fit at the same time, at roughly the same time. But in terms of transfers, yeah, it's been pretty quiet so until this whole Lukaku nonsense kicked off at the weekend. I think it's important, isn't it, that Thomas Tuchel's had this pre-season, he's had this time. I know you said it's it's been difficult for him and I think it's been difficult for, for a lot of managers across the Premier League. But for him to have come in sort of midway through last season, to have this time, that must be sort of hugely important. Have you started to to see signs that he's implementing things and, and will do things maybe a little bit differently and, and more how he wants it next season or, or possibly was even the, the back end of, of last season already showing those signs? I think it was back end of last season. Um, we've seen it all in pre-season so far and all the friendlies that he stuck with this um, uh, back five with three centre-halves and two wing-backs. Um, that was so successful last season. Chelsea only conceded 18 goals in 30 games under his watch last year uh, in the second half of last season. So it, it, it worked well. It's what fired, It's what helped them to the Champions League final um, and to win it against Man City and got them into the top four because they were somewhat sketchy at the other end of the pitch in front of goal. So they were very much built on their strong defence and that seems to be the same going forward this season he's going to stick with that formation because it works he's got the personnel there obviously that squad he had he just inherited from Frank Lampard and had to go with it and uh, and put those players in the positions that he thought they were best and uh, it worked really well so there's no reason to suggest why he would have changed it 
um, anytime over the, over the summer or going to a bat four or something like that. It just didn't seem like the right logical thing to do. So having that time with preseason um, was obviously good for Tuchel because yeah, he was completely parachuted in at the deep end late last January. Didn't have any time to make any moves in the tra- January transfer window and had to deal with what he got. Admittedly, it was still a very strong squad. Don't get me wrong. It's not like they didn't have a bad squad in the first place. Chelsea when under Lampard. It just wasn't getting the best out of them. Um, and yeah, so he's looking to bring in Lukaku, which looks likely, and perhaps another centre half. But that would probably be about what Chelsea's. But probably be about it for Chelsea this summer in terms of making moves because he's, as I say, got such a strong squad already as it is. It's now adding Romelu Lukaku to it. It's expected to compete for the title now. Um, Chelsea were certainly top four contenders, but now adding Lukaku, is it's, they're expected to really compete now with City and whoever else might be up at the very top this season. I'm really looking forward to this season because I think there's going to be quite a few teams that are going to be up there, there or thereabouts. And Chelsea are certainly going to be one of them now that they've got this marquee striker that they needed that's not Erling Haaland, but it's Romelu Lukaku. So, I mean, it's not exactly the worst um, alternative. that you, Even if it is an alternative, it's not the worst player that you can be bringing in. So, yeah, it's been an interesting pre-season for Tuchel. He'll have certainly managed to get his message across He's an elite level coach. We all know this. Um, knows exactly what he's doing. He's a Champions League winner now. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what um, what 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 this season's going to be like because it's not going to be too much different from the last six months, I don't think. But I imagine there'll be some tactical tweaks here and there that he'll that, that he'll probably throw in to try and confuse a few people, including myself. How big a thing is it to sign Lukaku? I mean, it's a it's a big statement signing. It's a lot of money, ninety eight million or so, isn't it? And it sort of feels like that was maybe the one bit of, of Chelsea's squad that needed strengthening. That was the one area that they were not quite as strong as, as in other places. Is it almost the, the final piece in the jigsaw for Thomas Tuchel? Pretty much, yeah. Um, we saw Timo Werner didn't have the best first season. Um, wasn't bad by any stretch, but he certainly didn't have the uh, the best first season in charge. So Olivier Giroud is obviously now gone. Uh, Tammy Abraham. Hasn't really convinced Tuchel. I don't think he's still very much on the uh, up for sale this summer if anyone wants to meet the price tag. Um, and as we saw multiple times last season, Chelsea were very wasteful in front of goal. I think they're one of the worst in terms of their of um, overperforming their expected goals. Last season, they created plenty of chances but just didn't stick them away. Um, they were winning games 1-0, 2-1. By the vast majority, I think there's only, they only scored more than two in one game, I think, in the Premier League. And that was against... Um, uh, Crystal Palace when they beat them 4-0 at, at, at Selhurst Park. So goal scoring was was a struggle. Um, it was always going to be the case that they were going to sign a striker this season. That was always the, sorry, this summer, that was always the priority. Erling Haaland was the name that's been banded about for ages. But Romelu Lukaku was deemed a more viable option to be actually, actually be able to sign. And Inter Milan have eventually relented when Chelsea put their third bid on the table of £98 million in cash um, with no players in exchange. And seemingly that's what um, in, in Milan have relented. They were holding up for a hundred million, but <laughs> what's 2 million in football, let's be honest. So um, yeah, they've, it, it certainly could be the missing piece that Chelsea needed to just take them over the top. They've got an incredibly strong squad. Uh, it's one of the best in Europe as we've already seen last season. And it just needed that one marquee elite level striker, which there aren't many about. Um, and you have to pay the big money for them. But in, with City signing Jack Grealish as well, Chelsea responded in kind with their own big money signing of the summer. Um, and that was always going to be the case. I think as soon as City made their move, Chelsea were Chelsea were going to make theirs in response. So yeah, it's going to be an exciting Premier League title race. And Lukaku, Premier League proven goal scorer, we know he's an elite level striker. He's one of the best in the world. He's certainly in the top what four or five strikers in the in world football. Um, 
he's gonna he does he rarely scores less than 20 goals in a season as well so i think that's exactly what chelsea needs so yeah it's a brilliant signing despite the obviously eye-watering price tag which raises eyebrows but it's certainly what chelsea needed there's lots of, of good players in that Chelsea squad. I absolutely love Mason Mount. I think Kai Havertz and Timo Werner will improve and, and be better this season than they were last. But who are you looking forward to seeing from Chelsea this season? Who's expected to sort of step up and, and have a better season compared to, to last year? Um, I might expect, I wouldn't say expecting a better season because he did all right last season, but I'm expecting a big one from Kai Havertz. You mentioned him there. Um, he's a generational talent, I think, when Chelsea signed him. Obviously, they paid big money for him. Last summer, um, Frank Lampard couldn't quite find the right fit for him in terms of formation. Thomas Tuchel then deployed him as a false nine that worked really well, scored the win in a Champions League final. Um, With a season under his belt, obviously last season he had COVID as well, which affected him really badly in November last year. And yeah, he's... He kind of took his time to adapt to the Premier League, but now with a season under his belt, he's looked really sharp in pre-season as well uh, in the limited minutes that he's had. Um, yeah, I'm expecting a big season from Kai Havertz because, yeah, he's got now that season under his belt. Everyone says that you need a season really to adapt to the Premier League, especially when you're coming from the Bundesliga, everyone abroad for the first time, the big price tag on your head and all that, and then moving to a new country. And he's still only 21. Well, he's 22 now, sorry, he's 22. So he's got so much time on his side. And I think, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he fits, especially with Lukaku obviously coming in. He will be that focal point, number nine, where Havertz plays. I think he's going to thrive off someone like Lukaku. Um, uh, alongside and Mason Mount as well. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how um, how, how Kai Havertz gets on. I think he's going to have a big season. Yeah, it's certainly an, an exciting prospect, isn't it? All of those attacking players, you think of Christian Pulisic as well. You wonder how he gets a game and, and he's still there and all of those different options. But uh, just in terms of, of sort of Liverpool and, and from that Chelsea perspective, how do you view Liverpool? What do you think Liverpool are going to do this season? And do Chelsea see Liverpool as one of those teams that they're going to have to beat to be at the top of this Premier League table? Oh, without a doubt. Um, with Liverpool, they're not going to have that horrible injury crisis of last season I don't think that's not going to happen again that was almost like a, a once in a blue moon kind of blue moon can't be saying that Man City in the whatever but um, you know what I mean um, yeah so Virgil van Dijk coming back uh, as well as obviously massive I'm sure that's been mentioned by many people that you've spoken to for this podcast and whatever that Virgil van Dijk coming back is massive best one of the best centre-backs on the planet um, and still Liverpool Jurgen Klopp elite coach still got that front three intact as well it just it depends so I expect Firmino will probably have a better season this season than last time round we've still got Mo Salah still got Sadio Mane there um, Naby Keita I think if he can stay fit Fabinho is obviously as well you still look at Liverpool squad and it's still incredibly strong as well I think last season was a bit of an, um, an aberration because of what happened with their ridiculous injury problems especially in defence so yeah certainly with Liverpool I'm expecting them to be there or thereabouts Again, this season, they've still got plenty of miles in the tank. Uh, and with and as I say, Van Dijk coming back for them is, is just massive. It's huge. It's, it's, it's transformational for, for Liverpool, I think. So, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly expecting them to be uh, competing for, for the league once again. And just finally then, what's your prediction for Chelsea? What's the, the expectation and what would represent success? I think probably there's, I think, four teams going into it that success is basically win the Premier League. Not all of them can do it, though. No, absolutely. Um, I think the signing of Lukaku uh, is certainly going to put Chelsea up above the favourites into uh, winning the title. Because I know City, Man City are going to be the favourites, but Chelsea are not going to be far behind them now uh, because they've addressed the one big glaring area sorry, that they that they needed to address. Um, I think obviously a successful season for Chelsea is that you've got to win a trophy, at least one. Sometimes that's not even enough. 
but you need at least one uh, one good run. Um, I think Chelsea are going to be going to push very, very close to win the title this year. Will I stick my neck on the line and say that they're going to win it? I'm, I don't think I will, but they will certainly run. Whoever wins it, well, they'll run them very, very close. They're going to be there or thereabouts in around second or third, I think for sure, probably second. Um, I think Champions League, obviously, look, we'd love to see Chelsea retain the Champions League. That's going to be, and it's an incredibly tough ask. Not very many teams do that. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be pretty difficult. But I think, yeah, Thomas Tuchel knows that Chelsea breeds a winning culture, breeds winning habit. He knows for a fact that he's got to win. He has to win a trophy. That's whatever trophy it is, he's got to win it, um, whether it be that the FA Cup, the, uh, the League Cup, the Premier League or the Champions League, whatever. They're going to be fighting on all four fronts this season for sure. So, yeah, what what represents a successful season for Chelsea is obviously finishing in the top four and winning a trophy, at least one, if not more. Um, which one that will be, I'm not entirely sure, but they're going to certainly be pushing there or thereabouts for every single competition they're in because they're, they're, they're going to be, because they're that good and they've got such a good squad this year. Yeah, it's going to be a fantastic season, isn't it? I think, Sam, thank you very much for, for joining me. Appreciate it. All right. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm joined next by Alex Brotherton, Manchester City fan brand writer for the Manchester Evening News. Alex, thanks for joining me. What's the summer been like for Manchester City? It's been a busy summer, as I'm, I'm sure you've probably uh, noticed. It's uh, Obviously, a lot of it has been focused around transfer activity, which isn't usually the case with City. They don't tend to go for these you know, £100 million players, but... Obviously, the uh, signed group Jack Grealish last week, and now attention seems to be turning to Harry Kane. Um, yeah, the preseason games they've not been too bad. They've well, they've they won every game before the Community Shield, beat the likes of Preston, Barnsley, Blackpool. Looked fairly convincing, and then obviously, as we saw on Saturday, things aren't going to be quite that easy heading into the opening weeks of the Premier League season. So, I think overall, it's been. It's been encouraging to see the youngsters um, get some game time. The likes of uh, Sam Adozi and uh, Cole Palmer have impressed. But yeah, Community Shield was a bit of a reality check for everyone, I think. How big a concern was that? I mean, obviously, you're not going to play a team as, as good as Leicester every single week in the Premier League. But I suppose it's it's a lot closer to, to Leicester than, say, a Blackpool or, or some of the other teams that City have played. Is that a big concern for you? I think it's a, a slight concern, but I think you've got to put it into perspective. As you say, first of all, we're not going to play a team as good as Leicester every week. But also, City's lineup is going to be much stronger most weeks than it was against Leicester. City is still missing a whole host of first-team names, mainly uh, the in- England contingent bar, Jack Grealish, obviously like the likes of John Stones, Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden are all out. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne is injured at the minute, so he didn't play against Leicester. Um, the 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 back four was basically not the first choice back four on Saturday against Leicester. So defensively we look shaky, but hopefully that will improve when the likes of Carl Walker and uh, John Stones are back. Um, so I think you'd expect that we might have at least scored a goal against Leicester, but you have got to put it into perspective. Last season we had a very slow start to the season, took only twelve points from the opening eight games. Uh, and then we went and won the league. So it's um, whether we start fast or slow to the season isn't exact, isn't anywhere near really an indicator of what's going to happen later down the line. So I think it's it's not it's not panic stations by any stretch of the imagination. Just got to be patient, get the players back up to speed. Even when the, the starters are back, they're going to be a bit out of uh, not out of shape, but you know, a bit going to take a bit of time to get up to speed. So I think it's it's not a huge concern, but um, obviously not the ideal preparation either. 
how excited are you about Jack Grealish? I think he's a brilliant footballer and obviously it's a, a big expectation for him. Do you think he's the perfect player really for, for Guardiola and for City to kick on? I mean, as you can probably tell, I'm very excited with the uh, with the headband. Uh, no, seriously though, uh, yeah, it's, it's an exciting signing. Um, I think anyone that watched uh, his uh, his performances for England at the Euros. Okay, he didn't he didn't play the whole game most of the time, but even though those 20, 25 minutes that he got in some of the games, he was just he injected something that was perhaps otherwise lacking from the team. And obviously, Aston Villa fans know that knew that already. But I think from a City perspective, if there's one criticism you can maybe lay at City's uh, door, is that sometimes they are not quite as direct as the fans would like them to be. Um, like obviously City's attack is very much a death by a thousand passes. And I think while Grealish will fit into that system well, he can offer a bit more sometimes being a bit more direct, a bit more, okay, this isn't working. I'm just going to do this. And like, that is something that City fans have been after for a while. So uh, yeah, I think it's generally the fans are pretty excited. You could probably tell from his, the reaction he got at Wembley when he came off the bench uh, from the City fans, rapturous applause. They're already singing his name. And he's not actually done anything in a city shirt yet. So yeah, it's it's a big excitement, as there would be with any big transfer. But I think given that what happened at the European Championships, there's just that little bit more hype than uh, for any other transfer. I think the one that would really sort of scare the rest of the Premier League would be Harry Kane. How likely do you think it is that, that City get him? And are you surprised that City are even thinking about a transfer of that sort of, of money? As you say, it tends to sort of be 50, 60 million this would be double that and then some for Harry Kane. Yeah, as you say, City don't tend to go for these uh, record-breaking transfers. Before before the Grealish deal, our record transfer was in the £60 million range. So I think it is a bit surprising, particularly given the, the current uh, economic situation, uh, what with COVID and whatnot. Um, yeah, I don't... When, when uh, Kane uh, didn't go to training... He didn't turn up for the first week of Spurs training last week. I was probably more confident then that City were going to sign him. However, since then, uh, Guardiola said um, last week that basically Spurs haven't been willing to negotiate. So as things stand, there isn't much chance of a transfer coming off at all. So probably not uh, not as confident as I was um, of him arriving at the Etihad. But I am still quite surprised that the club is in a position to, to spend £100 million on Grealish and then pre- probably looking at £130 million plus for Harry Kane if it was to come off. So I think a lot of uh, City fans are a bit surprised, but I think it is a position that the club does need to invest in, probably more than midfield. So yeah, it's probably a position that they needed to, to bring in more than Grealish, but we'll see how it pans out, I guess. We have got options if it doesn't happen, but... Obviously, Gabriel Jesus has been at the club for a while now and while he has impressed at times, he's never looked quite the player that is going to be the number nine that starts most games, scores 25-plus goals a season. So I think it is a position we need, but I'm not so confident that it's going to be Harry Kane that, that fills that void. Heading into the summer, Pep Guardiola was very clear in his comments that City didn't have this sort of huge budget. They couldn't go out and spend. And obviously, as you say, they could end up spending about £250 million on two players. I know that's raised a lot of eyebrows from Liverpool fans and, and from lots of other fans. But what do Manchester City fans think about? Is that something that, that bothers you or is that something you think about? Or is it just a case of it doesn't really matter because if at the end of the summer City have got Grealish and Kane, then it makes City better? 
I think with City fans, it's, it is quite a conflicting issue um, because a lot of City fans are still kind of stuck with the mentality that we aren't like one of the clubs spending lots of money at the top when obviously we are. Um, so it does feel a bit unnatural. Maybe that's the right word. A bit, a bit. Um, it's not really us to go and spend all that money. And I guess combined with the, the the sort of current situation with COVID and football finances that are crippling clubs abroad, Barcelona, just to name one, um, it does seem a bit uh, a bit strange that we're we're just able to spend all this money now. So I think obviously, yeah, City fans would love it if we if we uh, if Kane added to the to the transfers we do this season. But it, yeah, I don't think fans are that keen on the amount of money. Obviously, some fans are, are going to not really care. It's a footballer at the end of the day. Manchester City didn't invent spending big fees on players. Where it's not City that have in, inflated the market in recent years. But at the same time, for a, for a City fan uh, like myself, like supporting the club before all the wealth came in, it does feel a bit unnatural to be spending this much money. But whether if it comes off and... Kane, Kane arrives and he scores 25 goals next season and we win the Premier League and we win other trophies. No one's probably going to be bothered about it then. So it's, uh, it is that I think the fan base is a bit split on the issue. There could be a few sort of outgoings as well. I know Bernardo Silva and Eimerick Laporte, apparently they want to, to move on. There had been a few question marks over Raheem Sterling as well going into the summer. I don't know if that's still the case, but I think for me, this feels like the first sort of murmurings at, at Manchester City that maybe some of these squad players want to move on maybe in the past they've been able to, to spend this money and, and keep these players happy but it is a, a bit of a problem that's sort of bubbling away a little bit under the surface do you expect that silver and, and laporte and one or two of these players will move on and if they don't move on will that be a, a bit of an issue for city yeah i think i think bernardo is the most likely to go obviously he's the one that pep named uh, last week in his press conference and he also said that there was up to four other players that are keen on a move away. I think Bernardo is the player that will probably have the most suitors. Um, it's been reported and rumoured that um, he's interested in and he's interested in a move to Barcelona or Atletico Madrid, and they're interested in him. I can't go and see him, see him going to Barcelona given current uh, their current situation, but I think he's probably the most attractive option for clubs that are looking to sign a sort of attacking creative talent. I don't think. We're at the stage yet where it's going to be a problem, and it's going to if these players don't leave, it's going to lead to like a, a sort of mutiny or um, sort of a rift in the dressing room or anything. I think you only need to see how these players are still performing, um, despite not wanting to really be at the club. That it just shows that the, the elite sort of professionalism and mentality that they have. Bernardo came off the bench against Leicester on Saturday and. You couldn't tell by the way that he was running all over the pitch, going in for every tackle, really trying to get City going in what was quite a, a, a disappointing afternoon for them. You couldn't really tell from that performance that he doesn't want to be there. And I'd say you could argue, uh, you could argue the same for well, Jao, Jao Cancelo. He's been a. It's likely that he's one of the four that want to leave. Uh, so I don't think. Uh, if like I don't, I don't think if they don't go that there's going to be a great sort of mutiny in the dressing room and everything's going to fall apart I think if it's not this summer then those players that want out will probably leave next summer but I guess you could say it would be good to sort of get it done we know that they don't want to be there but I'm not really worried at the minute that it's going to be a massive issue if they don't go immediately 
And just to finish then, in terms of, of Liverpool, what's what's the view on Liverpool from Manchester City? Do you expect you know a much bigger title challenge from Liverpool? What what's the sort of feeling there at the moment? I think probably owing to Liverpool's lack of um, transfer activity. Obviously, I know they brought in Canate from uh, uh, RB Leipzig uh, earlier in the summer, so that's that's a big addition for them. Obviously, um, given the injury sort of concerns of um, Virgil Van Dijk. I think most City fans, obviously they haven't forgotten about Liverpool, but I think basically what happened with uh, Chelsea last season and obviously uh, losing to them in, in the, the FA Cup and the Champions League, it's almost like Chelsea have just undertook or have just come out of nowhere. And I think City fans are viewing Chelsea as their main competitors rather than Liverpool. And I think that will remain the case, especially if they bring in uh, Romelu Lukaku, as is, as is being reported. Um, personally, I I do think that Chelsea are probably more it's more well positioned to to challenge City's uh, title. I think Liverpool wants to get Van Dijk back in, and he's got a run of games. I think they'll look much more solid than they did last season. And as I said, the addition of Canate can only be a good thing. I just wonder with Liverpool if obviously it's I think you find every year teams need a bit of regeneration in their attacking department things get a bit predictable at times and I'm wondering if uh, especially as uh, Wijnaldum's left the club if uh, Salah, Mane and uh, Diogo Jota are going to be quite as as effective as maybe they were at times last season it'd be interesting to see obviously I don't follow Liverpool very as closely as City but I think they're still going to be up and around there but my personal feeling is that the title race is going to be between City and Chelsea Alex thank you very much uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that will please our, our Liverpool listeners. But Alex, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Now, thank you for having me. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. And I'm joined last but not least by Richard Fay, Manchester United reporter for the Manchester Evening News. Rich, thanks for joining me. What's the summer been like for Manchester United? It's kind of felt like a, a long one for Liverpool. Yeah, it's been weirdly quite positive for United I mean they're used to sort of being in the position where they operate slowly United fans have always had this sort of theory that they can only sign one player at a time and that transfer negotiations are always long drawn out affairs and if you look at last year in particular United signed four players across the two deadline days they had Garlo in January and then in October they had Tellez, Cavani, Fecundo Palestri and Ahmad all joining the club so it's been a breath of fresh air really because Sancho and Varane two world-class players have arrived with relative ease there's not been much of a challenge with with either player of course they are still substantial fees and you can't start acting like their bargain buys but they do seem like really smart additions to a side which last season had had shown you know glimpses of of a world-class nature particularly in attack you know you've got a side which already has someone like Mason Greenwood it's got Pogba, Bruno Fernandes, now you're adding Jadon Sancho. I think there is a lot of positivity around United and I think for the first time, maybe since Sparks Ferguson retired, fans are starting to believe that a title bid could could be a serious and genuine ambition for the season ahead. I think Jadon Sancho is the, the obvious sort of one to, to ask you about. I think he's a player that's been linked with, with lots of teams, including Liverpool, for the last couple of, of seasons. It was never realistic that Liverpool were going to go and, and spend that sort of money, but I know it's 72 million and as you say, you can't really say it's it's a bargain, but it does seem like it will prove to be value for money. When you look at the player he is now and the age he is, it, it kind of feels like one that 
United have got him now for, for the next 10 years if they want him. Yeah, exactly. I did see uh, someone post that on social media that, you know, if you broke it down and if you get a decade out of Sancho, then it's only seven million a year, in, in which case that maybe is good value for money. And I think from United's point of view as well, it's a success of their own transfer strategy because last summer they were quoted quite a stubborn fee from Dortmund. It was £108 million. Pounds nothing there's no discounts on that you've just got to pay that if you want him they buy their time they waited for him the opportunity arose again and they've managed to save 35 million pounds on his signature like we said it's still a very expensive deal and you know even in this sort of the post name might be post messy market now you've still got to say that's a huge fee but he, he ticks every box for united you know oligon Solskjaer wants to sign the best young players he's got one who's homegrown one who you know has shown that pedigree in in Europe with Borussia Dortmund, someone who is an England international, still got a lot of work to do, and he, he isn't the finished article. But you'd also argue from Sancho's point of view that he's joining the perfect dressing room for him. Really, you know, he's very good friends with Jesse Lingard, Marcus Rashford. There's a good rapport there, and United themselves believe that you know they could potentially have an England front three on their cards because they've got Rashford, they've got Greenwood, now they've got Sancho. You know, that could be club and country. In, in the years to come, of course, there's got to be mitigation about how they how they develop. But from United's point of view, they've not had a right winger. They've not had a specialist right winger since Wilfred Zaha signed. You know, he was Sarks Ferguson's last signing at Old Trafford. They've not had a specialist in that position. So it's been long overdue. And yeah, the excitement's building to see what he can actually do. And I think from his point of view as well, he, he very much sees it as unfinished business in the Premier League. What's pre-season been like? Has, has everything gone smoothly for, for Solskjaer and, and United this summer? It's been a, a tricky one. I mean, last summer United only played one game for the new season. They lost that to Aston Villa and they weren't prepared. They were undercooked. And in the end, you know, that poor start to the campaign cost them. And Solskjaer has already said, he, he said it last week, that you can't win the, the, the title in the first eight games, but you can certainly lose it. United know that they've got to get points on the board early on. It's not been ideal. Uh, a, just a week and a half ago, their fourth preseason match against Preston was cancelled because of a false COVID outbreak. It was contained, and all the tests turned out to be false neg- uh, false positives. And you know that that didn't actually worry United too much because they did test the next day, and it was all under control. But yeah, they lost out on a valuable match, and it means that the win against Everton at the weekend was the only game in which many of United's senior players have actually played. There were six players involved. Old Trafford on Saturday, who were making their first appearances of pre-season. And that was David De Gea, Victor Lindelof, Harry Maguire, Luke Shaw, Bruno Fernandes, Paul Pogba came on as well. So United don't have many meaningful minutes, really, in their senior players ahead of the opener against Leeds. And the other concern is that so many players still aren't back. We've not seen Jadon Sancho train with his first team with the team yet, or that's meant to happen earlier this week. Rafael Varane won't be announced until midweek. And Edison Cavani, he's had five weeks off now since Copper America. So United do still have a very good squad and they've got very enviable squad depth, but there is a slight concern that some of their key players haven't had meaningful minutes and, and got up to match speed yet. Who are the players that you're looking forward to, to seeing from a United perspective? Is there sort of a, an obvious sort of one or two that you'd look at for, for next season or is it just the case that there's a kind of good group now of, of a few players that make up this good squad? Yeah, like you said there, I think that the excitement from many United fans' point of view is there is that real depth now. And I think over the last two seasons, it has been cliche to say that over-reliant on Bruno Fernandes. But I do think that they are starting to look like a side 
which has more of an attacking impetus across different areas of the pitch. I think Donny van der Beek's the one that many United fans are really intrigued by because his first season was dismal in English football. But United have switched their formation a bit in, in pre-season. They've gone from a 4-2-3-1 to a 4-3-3. So instead of two holding midfielders, there's now just one. And that means Donny van der Beek gets to play in a more dynamic box-to-box role. And it's also viewed as a role which would you know, be similar to Paul Pogba's one for the French national team. And many people are saying it could sort of give him that freedom and make him sort of fall in love with playing for United again. And, you know, there's never been any questions of his professionalism, but that formation change should add more to United midfield and it should see the end of the McF- the McFred, you know, Scott McTominay and Fred axis that, that fans were a bit frustrated with towards the end of last season. So Donny van der Beek is an interesting one to watch out for. I think Mason Greenwood as well will have another interesting season because although Sancho has been signed on the right wing, the fact that Lingard's out at the moment with COVID, Rashford's out until October with shoulder surgery, means that Sancho could start the season on the left. So Greenwood will have a real good remit to play on the right. Edson Cavani, we've already been told he won't be able to play two games a week. So United needs to have a backup number nine. Mason Greenwood seems like the obvious choice. And then the other player I'm excited to see probably is Luke Shaw, because over the last calendar year, he is arguably the best left back in world football. But he wants to prove that that wasn't just a one-off. He wants to prove it wasn't a purple patch and that he really is a, a, a top-class defender that, that really does set the standards in the Premier League. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he responds to it because on paper, Maguire and Shaw, after their summers, adding Varane, United arguably have one of the best back fours in world football. And, you know, that's a lot of promise, but they need to go and prove it now. We've mentioned Varane, we've mentioned Sancho as well. Is there any other desperate needs for United in the transfer market or are they fairly happy with what they've got now heading into the new season? It's a it's a difficult one in, in the sense that from the club's point of view, they're very happy with Sancho and Varane, but they've also made no secret that they would like further additions if possible. Solskjaer said last week himself that any additional business would be certainly viewed as bonus uh, additions this summer. United are looking at another right back to offer some, com- some competition for Aaron Wambasaka. The club don't feel that Wambasaka offers enough going forward, and that's why they're interested in Kieran Trippier, although Atletico Madrid are holding out for a far bigger fee than United are prepared to pay. So that's one that there's got to be any movement will happen late in the window. And as a precaution, Diogo Dallo has returned from AC Milan and is being kept at United as that backup right back option. So, you know, if the opportunity arises, United will be in a position to to make a move but at the moment the priority if they can get one would be a specialist sort of defensive midfielder like I said they've made the formation change they only have one defensive midfielder that they need to use this season but the only specialist they've got is Nemanja Matic and he was really good at the weekend in the preseason match against Everton but again there's concerns about his fitness he can't do it twice a week so United long term do want to add a new defensive midfielder but the huge caveat to all this as we've seen with so many clubs this summer is United know that any further additions rely on selling players first. It's been really negative in terms of sales for United this summer because they just haven't got rid of enough players. They've, they've still got a far too bulky squad. They've added players to that. And there's still so many players on the periphery that, that are lingering on. The fact that Jesse Lingard is very much going to stay with the team next season, surely he should have been cashed in on after his fantastic loan spell with West Ham. You've got the likes of Andreas Pereira, who's just hanging on, has no role to play anymore. Uh, Anthony Marshall, there's rumours saying he could be a target for Inter Milan following their transfer sales. But United still have too many of those fringe players who just need to be cashed in on. And I think that is one aspect particularly that United are, are jealous of Liverpool for because Liverpool do seem to have this ability 
to get really good fees for players who don't really serve a purpose to the first team, whereas United usually reward them with long-term contracts. You mentioned Liverpool there. What's the kind of view from Manchester United of, of Liverpool going into this season? What do you kind of expect from them? And, and do you think Liverpool will be up there with United, probably City, Chelsea as, as well for, for the Premier League title? I think that Liverpool have been hard done by on the fact that people forgot just how good they are at the Klopp. And in a way, they seem to almost be going under the radar heading into the new season, From particularly from the maybe the red spectacles we view the season and all the social media sort of stuff that we get to see fans are very much predicting it to be like you said City Chelsea United for the title but I think Liverpool you know when Liverpool are at their best and have their strongest team out you know they are arguably still the best team in the Premier League they might not have the squad depth of other sides and I think that's still something which you know viewed from the outside could undermine Liverpool I, I don't think that maybe they do have as many attacking options as, as the likes of Chelsea City and, and now United as well. So I think that from, from the outside point of view, Liverpool are definitely a team in discussion, but I don't think United fans are viewing them as, as title favourites at all. And just finally then, from a United perspective, what's the sort of feeling there? What's what's the prediction? Do you think that they could win the, the league or, or what would represent success is, I suppose, what I'm asking yeah, well, Solskjaer knows that he has to have progress. The fact he's been rewarded with this new long-term contract ahead of the season is evidence that United are happy to do so. Of course, United didn't win a trophy last season, so to still reward Solskjaer with that new long-term deal is real evidence of the faith the club have in him. But United haven't won a trophy now since 2017. That is the bare minimum for the season ahead. It might have to be League Cup, FA Cup, you know, there's not many trophies to win. So I'm not of the belief that they should be ranked in superiority too much. I think any piece of silverware is is something that should be praised rightfully. And of course, United's ambition is to try and win the Premier League. But as we saw last season with Chelsea winning the Champions League, you don't have to be the best team even in your division to conquer Europe. And I think United do have that knack of beating teams on the big stage. They can play really nice on the county if they have to. And I'd almost say United have a better chance of winning the Champions League than the Premier League, just because you don't need to have the longevity quite as much. But in terms of Premier League, United know that the bare minimum is to have a serious Premier League title challenge. And if they're going to miss out on the title, it has to be a matter of points rather than the big margins we've seen in the last few seasons. United just, they've had sort of moments where they've looked like title pretenders and they've had freak results. You think of the 9-0 against Southampton and people sort of believing that maybe they have got what it takes. But the issue for United last season was they were great against big teams, but they carried on throwing away cheap points against the smaller sides. They lost at home to Sheffield United. You know, they can't have these sort of errors and it's going to be a huge test of character. But for the season ahead, United know themselves that they've got to be finishing at least second because that is, you know, that is progress on the second place they had, but with a, a large gap behind City and they've got to be winning a trophy. That has to be the bare minimum of why Solskjaer could pay, pay the ultimate price. Yeah, it's certainly going to be an interesting season for lots of teams across the Premier League. Thanks a lot to all of my guests for joining me. The new season is just a couple of days away now and we're all excited just like you are. Thanks as ever for signing up to the Blood Red Club. Make sure you stick across all of our other content as well as the new season begins. But until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.